You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. So you're going to need something to write on. You're going to need your Bible. Turn to chapter 6 of Matthew. Today I'm going to give you one verse we're up from one word, okay? Monday was one word, our. But I'm going to give you one verse, one question, and one image. The verse is Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. It's that explosive line in the Lord's Prayer that invites us into partnership with God in the welcome and advance of His kingdom. It begins, your kingdom come. I wonder if we can say it together. Let's just all try together, not with anything on the screen, just, you know, like from your memory. Go. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's awesome. The question that verse inspires is this one, what can be? And if you're a journaler, I want you to write that question at the top of your journal page, and I want you to spend the rest of this week on that one question, what can be? That's the question all prophetic prayer begins with. And this line from Jesus, this line in his pattern of prayer is prophetic. It inspires us toward God's best. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. One, one verse, one question, what can be? And here's the image I want to give you today. That's the image. This is my granddaughter. I knew I'd get it in here somehow. My daughter sent this picture to me, and the caption that came with it said, when you don't believe your mom that there are no more popsicles. <laughs> and that, friends, is about as good a picture of my prayer life as you'll see. <laughs> that's my prayer life. Never mind what Jeannie said, that's me. Does this resonate with anybody else? Or is it just me? Because a lot of my prayers look just like this. A lot of my prayers are popsicle prayers. I come in already knowing what I want, oblivious to what is possible or what is good for me, and I'm hopped up on sugar and desperate for whatever it is I'm asking for. And God, our Father, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the God who created the entire universe, God who breathed into me the breath of life, I come to Him looking for a popsicle. <laughs> Does this sound familiar? I get tunnel vision, like the whole refrigerator is nothing but popsicles, and God isn't giving me one. Never mind that the refrigerator is, good of all, is full of all kinds of things that are good for me. I just want a popsicle. Or, or what is it for you, that thing, you know, that you keep coming to God for? The, the refrigerator is full of all kinds of good things, and you keep asking him for a closer parking space to your dorm room. When my whole brain is on that one thing, I can't understand why he won't give me what I'm asking for. Either he's holding out because he doesn't understand what I need or because he's keeping it for himself or for some other reason I don't quite get. You know, I noticed something else about this picture, something that reminds me of my prayer life. There's a design flaw in Emmy's strategy. Do you see it? There's a design flaw here. 
You cannot both pull on the refrigerator doors and press your feet against them at the same time and expect the doors to open. Have you prayed like that? Pulling and pushing at the same time, hungry for things that aren't even in there. And while I don't know this to be the case here, I do know that the end of the story for a two-year-old in a scene like this usually includes pitching a fit, also my prayer life. But here's the thing, it isn't supposed to be like this. It, that, what we just saw, that occurs in a two-year-old and, and, and it's supposed to occur to a two-year-old that a mom knows better than everybody else whether there's popsicles in there and that, and that, and that moms know there's one more popsicle. It's, it's, it's supposed to, wait a minute, I'm saying it wrong. I'm saying it wrong, let me get back. It isn't supposed to occur to a two-year-old that moms know that there's no more popsicles. It isn't supposed to occur to a two-year-old that. But it's not supposed to occur to a two-year-old that a mom may actually know that there's, that there's nothing for her in there. That's a fine, um, that's fine for a two-year-old to believe that. I'm kind of stumbling now. Let me get back to myself. It can even be cute when a two-year-old does that. But it's not good when a grown-up treats prayer that way. Now I'm back on track. Are you with me? It's not good when a grown-up treats prayer like a two-year-old treats a freezer with popsicles in it. So is, it is good that Jesus gives us such a clear and easy on-ramp to prayer in Matthew chapter six. He gives us a simple pattern and he starts with some ground rules. I want you to look at that uh, passage that we just uh, read, Matthew chapter six, verse five. Matthew chapter six, verse five through eight. We're gonna just look at it again. He says this, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, I want you to circle that word you. Go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, I want you to circle that word you again. Don't keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, when I've read this passage before, I've usually emphasized the word when, like when you pray, meaning that prayer is a non-negotiable. But for some reason, when I read it this time through, the word you stood out for me. When you pray, never mind everybody else, never mind the people who pray loud and proud and who use a lot of big words, never mind those who only pray in public and, and who only pray when they have needs. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray, find a quiet place where it's just you and God so you can get to know the voice of God and so God can show you things. Because it isn't until we get quiet that we hear him. So Jesus says, you, you who follow Jesus, when you pray, don't do it just for looks and don't, do, don't spend all your prayer time talking because in a conversation with the creator of the universe, you are probably not the most intelligent one talking. <laughs> Get someplace by yourself, close the door, not to keep it secret so much, but so you can hear the heart of God and begin to pray the heart of God. 
Those are the ground rules that lead us into the Lord's Prayer. Before he walks us into this pattern of prayer, he puts us in a posture of listening. And then he begins with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now when we think of that line, coming off that runway of listening, that changes everything. Well now, that line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that line becomes an invitation to listen to the God of the universe before we begin asking for things. Go back to our little toddler on the fridge picture. Do you remember the caption that came with this picture? What happens when you don't believe your mom that there are no more popsicles? Of course, Emmy is just a toddler and she knows her mom loves her. But in that moment, she's thinking like a toddler who might not fully understands that things run out eventually, that the fridge doesn't automatically replenish itself, or that moms know when enough sugar is enough sugar, or that sometimes even looking cute won't make stuff appear. (laughs) That's a good prayer principle right there. (laughs) Looking cute won't make stuff appear. Moms don't work that way. Listen nor does God. So when we begin with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that's an invitation to stop and remember who God is, how he works, how he tends to work in our lives. It's a chance to pray his character into my life, to understand his preferences so we can trust God's heart. Do you remember we said this on Monday, that all good prayer begins with the character of God. So what do we know to be true about God? He's faithful. He's good. God is love. He knows more than me. He knows more than me. He is in control. Great things that we know about God. And if we know these things to be true, that ought to change how we enter into prayer. God is able, God is good, God is powerful, God designed me, God gives good things to people he loves, and God loves me. Good prophetic prayer begins there. It begins not with what I need, but with the character of God. And the goal of prophetic prayer is the kingdom of God. So it begins with the character of God, and it, and it aims toward the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. That's an explosive request and it's also an invitation to dream around that question, what can be? So last Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King Day. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King was a man who laid his whole life on the line for the sake of his country. Reverend Dr. King was brilliant at casting a hopeful vision. And in his most famous speech, his I have a dream speech, King painted a vision of what can be. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. He, He made dreams like this, the same man who had been jailed and beaten and bombed, he could say, I have a 
a dream that one day every valley will be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of God will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. He went on like this. And we got to the end of that stunning litany of dreams. King said, this is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. His whole speech was a testament to the power of hope. We haven't yet begun to realize all of Dr. King's dreams. We have not yet learned as a country how to protect, how to trust, how to hope, how to persevere with each other, regardless of the color of our skin or our economic status. Not at the heart level, we haven't. We're not there yet. But Martin Luther King's dream broke loose an iceberg of inaction at the legislative level and brought real change and much more. He gave us a vision of what can be. And that kind of prophetic vision is powerful. That kind of prophetic vision comes from spending time at the feet of Jesus, listening for the heart of Jesus. Do you see the difference between that kind of praying, the kind that starts from what we want what we think we need, and the kind of praying that enters into what God is already doing in the world, or that enters into what we know to be true of God's character. Does God want freedom for all people? Does God believe all people are equal in the sight of God? Yes, yes, yes. Do we, do we believe that God wants us to begin our prayers with his intentions for the world? Yes. The fact is, the refrigerator is full of food. It is full of food that my little Emmy loves. But if your whole head is stuck on popsicles, you will never think to ask what is actually possible. Hear me, friends. If all your prayers are stuck on what you can think, what you can think or imagine, on your needs, your feelings, you will never think to ask for what is actually possible. And I think this is so powerful for us to remember right now because you guys have been, all of us have been in, a, in pandemic mode for two years. We've been in survival mode for two years. Our worlds have gotten small. But the world desperately needs, the kingdom desperately needs for followers of Jesus to begin dreaming kingdom dreams again. Go back and look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Can you see how it's divided into two parts? The first part focuses on God's character and on God's kingdom. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the, the secret to praying prophetically is start with God's character and aim for God's kingdom. The second part of the prayer gets specific about how to pray the kingdom down. So Jesus teaches us to pray, not just for my food, but for our food. Do you remember what we said? Monday prayer is plural. And then Jesus asks us to pray, not just for forgiveness, but that we might carry the character of grace into the world. 
Forgive us, Lord, so we can be agents of grace in the world. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to walk in grace toward this hard world. Teach us how to walk in forgiveness toward those who hurt us. Lord, teach us to be agents of grace. And then Jesus asks us to pray, not just that we won't be tempted, but that we might become warriors in the fight against evil and injustice. That's a huge prayer. Lord, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how to use my small life for such big things, but I'm asking you to teach me how to walk in grace while I fight against the enemy of the kingdom of God. Jesus, show me how to follow you into the homes of the poor to challenge oppression and injustice, to delight in creation, to feel the pain of our wounded world, and to begin to dream of your world made whole. Lord, teach me to pray like that. Do you hear what Jesus was teaching his friends? He was teaching them how to pray the kingdom down. He was teaching them to look around and ask, not just how do I get my own popsicle out of the refrigerator, but how do I unlock the storerooms of heaven for all the people? How do I become part of the welcome and advance of God's kingdom? So how can we pray like that? What are the things that have not yet been accomplished on earth that God wants to see accomplished because whatever is happening in heaven, that's what we want to be praying for on earth. Are there wars in heaven? Then we ought to be praying against war on earth. Is there racism in heaven? Come on, you can do better than that. Is there racism in heaven? Then we ought to be praying against racism on earth. Is there anger or hatred or unbelief in heaven? then we ought to be praying against those things here. Is there unforgiveness in heaven? Is there temptation or self-interest in heaven? Is there sickness in heaven? Is there isolation in heaven? And we don't just pray against, we pray for. So what are your big dreams for yourself, for your community, for the world? Is there true community in heaven? Is there love in heaven? Is there worship in heaven? Is there unity in heaven? Is there healing in heaven? Pray for it, friends. Because right here, right now, we can work against racism and promote healing. Right here, right now, we can teach reading to children with disabilities and and art to troubled kids, and we can invite the strangers in, and we can give thirsty ones something to drink right here, right now. We can become a missionary in our corner of the world, and it begins in the place of prayer. When you pray, get yourself off to a place where you can hear the voice of God, and then begin to ask Him what can be, and then begin to pray those prayers back into the heart of God. So what are the things that have not yet been accomplished on earth that God wants to see accomplished through you? Because whatever's happening in heaven, that's what we ought to be praying for on earth. You know, I love that little girl right there. I love her. I love her spirit. I love her sense of play. But I am very aware that she is two. And she's acting exactly like a two-year-old has a right to act would not go over well for her to still be hanging off the refrigerator when she's 20. 
or 40 or 60. So I'm moved and convicted by her witness and by the kind of prayer Jesus inspires and teaches us to pray. Matthew chapter 6 is not a popsicle prayer. Jesus is inviting us into something much bigger, much more significant. So I have a question for you. Are you ready to pray bigger? What do we really believe God is capable of? I'm not talking about naming it and claiming it. For the most part, that's just bad theology. If we're going to pray this prayer of Jesus with purpose, we have to do our homework. We have to understand the character of God. Watch for the moves of God. Listen for the, in prayer for the heart of God so we don't run the very sad and frustrating risk of dreaming dreams God has no intention of fulfilling. But we also don't want to pray too small because God wants to use you to welcome and advance the kingdom of God. And in fact, God will not do it without you. I wonder how that I have a dream speech first got instilled in Dr. King's spirit. He'd given the address several times before that day that he gave it uh, in Washington. And he wasn't planning to give it that day. The organizers had heard it done several times and they felt like it had been done. So they told him not to use that speech, that, that part of the speech, that day, but just before he stood up to speak to that throng of people, really to the whole world, Mahalia Jackson leaned over and said, tell him about the dream, Martin. <laughs> I really believe that's the spirit behind Matthew 6.10. It's Jesus leaning over to you and me and saying, come on, tell me your dreams. Come on, it's okay to get out of survival mode and just tell me your dreams. What are your dreams for yourself, for your community, for the campus, for the world? 